There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. The new Scream movie is generating buzz at the box office this weekend. I spoke with the original Scream queen, Drew Barrymore, during her 2015 memoir, Wildflower, including memories of shooting Wes Craven's 1996 horror masterpiece, as well as her child role in E.T., The Extraterrestrial, which celebrates its 40th anniversary this year. Drew Barrymore, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on WTOP. We know you're a busy woman, so we really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I feel the same way. I appreciate it. Um, okay, well, everyone knows that you were sort of, you know, born into Hollywood royalty, and we all know and love all of your flicks. But uh, why, why put pen to paper here and tell it in your own words? Uh, is it? I think it'll be a good stocking stuffer if you ask me. Oh, good. I think it's it's a very optimistic book. So I like optimism, especially during the holidays. Um, and therefore, I, I think it is a nice holiday book um, because it's, it's cheerful. Um, and I, it surprised me writing it that I actually was like crying as I was typing too. It's emotional, um, but I also was laughing all the way through it. And um, I always wanted to write. It was always sort of this dream or goal of mine, but I just did not have the organized time, the bravery, and probably enough life experience, which right. I, I, you know, to feel like I had something to say or even perspective on my life, right. um, like humorous objectivity. Um, and it's very personal. It's my heart on a page, and yet it doesn't cross any boundaries and become anything that I wouldn't want my children to read. It actually turned out to be a total love letter to them. Absolutely. Well, what you mentioned that certain parts made you tear up, and which parts uh, yeah. made you get a little misty-eyed? Yeah, writing about my dog Flossie and like <laughs> seventeen almost years we had together was incredibly emotional. Um, and one of the stories I sort of had in the lighter category, I didn't realize, um, you know, writing about my dad and. Uh, writing about my mother's father and sitting in a Hawaiian hotel room with him and, um, you know, things that sort of came out of nowhere and made me realize that they were a lot more profound to me than I had even realized. Um, writing about my best friend, Nancy Javonin, who's a Taurus, and my mother is a Taurus, and my daughter Frankie is a Taurus. And although I don't put a ton of stock in the whole astrology thing, <laughs> it was a great literary way for me to, like, talk about these women in right. my life. Is that sort of like a through line? Yeah. So I tried to 
have heads and tails of stories that would help give it a, a setting, but then also take you where maybe I, I didn't even expect it to go. Um, I tried to write clear and concise, um, but I also tried to keep it unobvious and, and not just so paint by the numbers. Um, it was such a pleasure to write. It came effortlessly, even though I put so much effort into it. Um, something about it didn't feel, you know, like, oh, God, I got to go write again. <laughs> I, 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 like, ran to the typewriter, you right. know, three days a week for two hours a day, and I got to be the kind of mom that I want to be, which is with my kids. And instead of a job taking me so far away from them, it didn't. I wrote it at my house, and it was, like, perfectly conducive. Yeah. It was great. That's awesome. You mentioned your father. I know you, you devote part of the book with their, your relationship with you and your dad, but you said it was sort of in small doses, memorable moments, sometimes dark, sometimes humorous. I mean, he was just such a an unreliable, hilarious, uh, you know, tornado. Um <laughs> Of a, of a person. I think I equated him to part unicorn, part violent storm. <laughs> um, and, and that's what he was. It was very tumultuous and um, sometimes, honestly, just downright scary. And as you get older, you get out of your fear and more into like a equal footing with right. this person. And then by the end, you know, he was unfortunately dying of cancer. It was like all of a sudden I was the bigger, stronger person. Right. And it's funny how our whole relationship went full circle. And um, I, I found him really fascinating. And I, I didn't hold him accountable for not being an accountable person. And there was a tremendous amount of forgiveness and um, understanding that we had between each other, which, you know, father to daughter who don't have a healthy orthodox relationship can really go the other way. And ours didn't. It was very appreciating. Absolutely. In addition to your father, there was obviously also Ethel Barrymore, and then your, your, I guess you're the grandniece of Lionel Barrymore? Yes. Mr. Potter, yes. very, very timely this time of year. Do you have any memories of uh, Lionel Barrymore? And, uh, Best did... Christmas movie in the world. It's a wonderful life. I, I agree with you. What? Uh, when was the first time? Did he did, did he sit you down and show you that, or how does that even work <laughs> when, when he's actually um, your granduncle? I know. Unfortunately, I wish he was the one who... Uh, turned it on for me. I, I just saw it when I was a really little kid and loved it so much. And um, it was probably my mom that showed it to me. I didn't really know any of them because they all passed away before I was born. Oh, I really okay. only knew my father. Okay. I know. So I just, luckily, you know, they left me this treasure box of books and movies and all these wonderful ways to connect with them, albums with their voices on it. Um, yeah, but not... I have to idealize them from afar, although I feel so close and connected with them. Funny how the spiritual world works. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, there's not most people out there in the world don't get to have those awesome, quote unquote, <laughs> home movies that you get to have. You know, it's pretty, pretty yeah. special. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a decent trade-off because I would have much preferred to, like, have Christmases with them and all that good stuff, but I'll take it. <laughs> for, for sure, definitely, definitely. Um, I know also in the book there's a, a part called, you know, 
there's a whole part school of ET, which is also timely because you know the the, the great uh, screenwriter just passed away of the movie. But I know. Um, do you I have no Melissa Matheson? Yeah. Do you have any uh, memories of her and also just or yeah. or Mr. And Mr. Spielberg? How you got into it? I, you, you auditioned for Poltergeist, right? And that led to ET. I did. I I was just a kid actor going out on you know auditions and trying to land jobs and. He was sitting in for the director of that film, and uh, he told me I was not right for this part. I was crushed. I thought I had, like, really won him over with my crazy stories, um, (laughs) six-year-old's imagination. And uh, luckily, he said, I'm making another movie. It's called A Boy's Life, and I'd like you to come in and meet on that one. And I, through many auditions, ended up getting that part and having, honestly, what was just the most joyous experience of my life. And then they changed the film's name after we made it and called it E.T. Do you have any fun memories of, you know, I mean, because you're all sort of kids at the time, but uh, the boy that played Elliot. um... Yeah, Henry Thomas. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we all had the best time. We all went to school. I called it the school of E.T. because we all went to school together every day in this little schoolhouse. It was on this old... Hollywood lot that had a very bungalow-like feeling, very old Hollywood. And we were in this little tiny schoolhouse, and uh, we just had so much fun together. It was a real group of misfits, and everybody felt very empowered by Stephen, and, uh, you know, imaginations were allowed to run wild, and and, uh, it was such a healthy, safe, lovely environment. It really was one of the best experiences of my whole life. What is it like acting across, you know, sort of a, a cutting edge puppetry like that? You know what I mean? I mean, it's how do you how do you even act like that when it when it's not a real person like that? I mean, especially well, at such I a young age. Well, I have to say, I feel lucky because he was actually in the room, and I feel like now you'd be acting to a green screen and a tennis ball. True, true. Um, and to be filled in later. So I I actually miss the era of when like puppetry existed right. and things were actually live on camera. I mean, it's amazing what they can do nowadays. So look, here we are. We're only moving forward and better. But um, I kind of like kicking it old school with some (laughs) puppetry. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. It gives you. It gives a little more soul to it because it's actually there. Um, it is. It's the, right on the film slide. The most important ET question: Did you, uh, all the kids on set, ever eat Reese's Pieces? Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> we did. They were always around. <laughs> Awesome. Well, speaking, I know. <laughs> I've always wondered that. You know, he's leaving little trails for for ET. Oh yeah, I, I no, was like, totally. They were always on set. Yes, we definitely nibbled a few here and there. Those are your Hansel and Gretel uh, breadcrumbs around set. Um, well, exactly. we, <laughs> well, we talked about you know the the passing of you know ET screenwriter, but we also had another timely recent passing of you know the great Wes Craven, and you worked with him in Scream. What what are some of the memories I of did, that and opening scene? What when, a wonderful man! Yes, I have very strong memories of. Working with him, because, hello, Nightmare on Elm Street, it had been at least 10 years since he did that. And he's just, he's such a master. Um, And we thought, oh, we really want this film to become, you know, something that can go on and on and on. If we could ever be so lucky to work with a master, it might reach that potential. And so I worked really closely with him. And then when I was doing my like eight days of filming Mm -hmm. uh, for the beginning part of the film, I was so close to him. And I actually like told him the secret that if he told it to me, I empowered him with this information. (laughs) Um, 
that he could use because I didn't want to use any fake tears. I wanted uh, to be crying. I'm, I don't right. ever like to resort to um, like glycerin running down my face. I want it, but I was like, I'm going to have to cry for eight days straight. So l- let me tell you this thing. And so he would tell it back to me and it always got me to cry. What's the secret? And, Are you allowed to say? Uh, I'll just keep it between us, but it's nothing like salacious or, or right. weird. It was like this thing I heard that happened in the world that upset me so much. Oh, wow. It wasn't even my own story. Um, and, uh, but only you and Wes Craven I, knew it. Yeah, only only we did, wow. and um, I I was always very uh, close to him because I didn't want to talk to people in between takes because I had to be at such a sort of agitated, right. flipped out state. Um, so I just stayed by his side. He was incredibly safe, and he was just the warmest, kindest, loveliest man. Funny how like someone who's a king of a you know right, horror right. genre could be so gentle and so the opposite of what you would think he'd be. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it might be hard to believe, but you, I mean, you know, what Psycho was back in the 60s, you you were to, you were <laughs> to all you. of us in the 90s. I'm honored <laughs> by the reference. Honored. <laughs> awesome. Well, I know uh, I know you got to make the rounds here, so well, I wish we could talk forever, but we got to let you go, but the book is called Wildflower. Um any any final words of why we should, you know, pick this up, maybe buy it for someone uh, over the holidays? Well, I mean, I think going back to, you know, what we first started saying, it it is a cheerful, optimistic book and hopefully surprisingly emotional here and there. But I think it's it, it I wrote it with this feeling of such warmth. And I think that's what you want and need around the holidays. You need to be enveloped in warmth. Absolutely. Well, thanks for enveloping us for at least, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. We really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We really appreciate you. Are you kidding me? Everybody, that's <laughs> <laughs> Drew Barrymore on WTOP. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.